Hello, this is Kat. Hello. Hello. Hi. Are we recording? We are. We're having audio problems, I think. Um, Gave my usual usual sign-on. I said, hello, this is Kat. And it was like speaking into a void. And I heard nothing. Let's, Let's start over. This is Phoebe. We are Feminine Chaos. Technical difficulties edition, but I think we'll be all right. I think we'll yes. be all right. Yeah, having an especially chaotic opening here. It was a chaotic week for me. It was election day, and I also wrote approximately one million articles that have been up in the past week. And so um, I have very little awareness of what has been going on in the world since I started writing all this stuff. I just know a lot about what was happening two weeks ago. How are you, Phoebe? Fair enough. Um, I would assume that that's, that is probably the case for me as well. I'm sure things have happened since, although I just saw that there was that somebody had shot at a Montreal uh, Jewish elementary school, which is certainly um, reassuring, but nobody was in the building at the time, so obviously it's fine, and, um, you know, no, no, nothing to be concerned about there. Either, there are only a few possibilities I've learned from the internet in a case like this. That either means that... It must have been a, a faked hate crime. That's one possibility that will always be given. And it's that is true. That is always a possibility. But, you know, you never know. Another is that somebody is just so extremely enthusiastic about the Palestinian cause that they just, you know, couldn't help themselves. And this is really important because it's drawing attention um, to the war and to Israel's misdeeds to shoot at an elementary school in Montreal. I have a third theory. What's your theory? Well, maybe this, I don't know what this building looked like, but maybe this person just really has a bug up their ass about particular architectural styles. And they were like, fuck this building (laughs) in particular. They brutalized the brutalism or whatever. I hate a cornice so much. (laughs) Like they just bedevil me. No, I don't know. I don't even. That's, yeah, I don't even know. I mean, at this point, so yeah, I've gotten a little fed up with the discussion of parsing what's anti-Semitic versus what's anti-Zionist. Like there was that N plus one. I don't know if you saw the N plus one letter, um, open letter of Jewish writers and creatives who are saying that you can be critical of Israel and not hate Jews, which is like it's true to the point of banality. If you look at like most Israelis are not happy with their prime minister. Are they all anti-Semites? Is anybody even saying that? But anyway, what keeps happening is Jewish people, Jewish sites, whatever, keep getting attacked. And it's like, well, it's really because of Palestine. So it's okay. Mm. Um, so that, and like, or restaurants, it's like, ah, but did you know that the owner is Israeli? It's like, no. And also like, what? <laughs> this reminds me a little bit of at the start of the war in Ukraine when people started like just kind of randomly vandalizing Russian anything or canceling like, you know, they wanted to cancel Tchaikovsky and Dostoevsky and um, Tolstoy. And it was like Elizabeth Gilbert, right? We talked about this. Yes, yes. And, um, you know, not to mention those little dolls. It's like a doll inside of a doll inside of a doll. Like suddenly you had to burn all of those down, which is terrible because I actually sleep inside of one of those. And so, um, <laughs> yeah, it was just it was an awkward moment for me on many fronts um but so we are we are sort of talking for i don't know like the millionth week in a row about the israel discourse but from a slightly different angle i don't want people to think that this is going to be like a complete retread of things we've already discussed um but i have reported a piece about what this discourse is doing 
two people on the left, especially people who formerly considered themselves progressives, who have now noticed that a lot of their friends, in some cases family members, in some cases spouses, or even um, professional colleagues, are in support of the other side of things in a way that is causing serious fractures um, amongst the amongst the population there on the left. This is a big wedge issue. So that's going to be what we're talking about today, among among other things. Yes, and I'm fascinated by this, and I was very excited to see your writing about it. I feel like a little known, um, like I, I wonder, or maybe is it even little known? I feel like it's a good idea when you're marrying somebody to make sure they don't have any political views on things you really care about that are just going to drive you nuts. And I don't, and that's different from, that are different from yours. Maybe they have views that are different from yours, but if there's something that's going to just drive you nuts, if your spouse has that view, and if they're, certainly if they're posting a lot about it, just like, that seems, I don't know. It doesn't mean that they have to be the same political party. I feel like it's a different thing, but... Or just like if, like maybe this is what's meant by the shared values or something. Yes. I, I have an interesting perspective on this because I am in a, well, I mean, it was a cross political relationship. Now we're both independents. <laughs> but um, at the time that I met my husband, I was a, you know, super big Democrat supporter and he was a registered Republican. And um, I did think at the time that it was interesting to discover that somebody who I had assumed, you know, that somebody who voted Republican would be really sort of contraposed with me on on virtually everything, including, you know, the values that we held. And what it actually turned out is that it is very possible to hold virtually the same values as somebody, but to disagree on what the proper solutions to a given problem are. And so you may end up voting for different parties if you vote according to policy rather than according to like team sports. So that was what worked out with us. And, um, you know, it's been 15 years and we're still married very happily. So yay. Uh, But I I can definitely see how if you are on opposite sides of any given issue and the person you're married to is one of these people who um, sees politics as like the equivalent of being a fan of a sports team that it could get very dicey. Yes. So your article is fantastic. It has like a lot of different angles that I I think we're going to have to um, discuss these various angles. But first, I just was curious what you found out um, in reporting it about are people's relationships falling apart and what does that look like? I don't know if they're falling apart. Um, There's a lot of people being like, well, I'm politically homeless now because clearly I don't belong here. And this is, you know, this is progressive Jews who were sort of shocked to discover that people um, on their political team were posting, you know, paraglider memes and so on. But what's happening more amongst friend groups, like... (laughs) I don't know. I think that there's a lot of quiet unfollowing happening or like quiet muting. Ooh, I have quiet muted. I have quiet. I have quietly muted. I, I can you loudly mute? Yeah, you mutely muted. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess you can loudly mute if you first scream at the person that you're muting them. Um, but it <laughs> seems like once you're doing that, you might as well block them. Muted and reported. Um, yeah. <laughs> It doesn't have the same ring to it. 
Um, but the younger younger folks who I think tend to use social media maybe like a little bit differently um, and who feel a much greater compulsion to to always say something about whatever given issue lest they be assumed to be in support of the, the wrong side. I think that there's a lot of stridency happening there and hence a lot of conflict where if somebody posts something like there's a good chance that the friend who's on the opposite side of things is going to come into their mentions or come into their DMs and say, you need to let me educate you. And this was actually very interesting. One of the examples, um, I talked to this woman, Randy Shapiro. She's one of the few people who was willing to use her real name for the uh, for this interview, which I appreciated. She went on the record with me. Um, she was describing to me how her kids or her yeah, her kids, she had two kids, uh, became embroiled in this drama that ended up like blasting apart this really, really long standing, like 20 year family friendship with people that they had met in Portland. And the Shapiros are Jewish. Uh, this family was not, but they had like celebrated Jewish holidays with them. Like their their sole exposure to Judaism was basically celebrating Passover with their Jewish friends, you know, who invited them into their home. Then October 7th happens and the child of this family friend, I guess, started posting very kind of pro-Hamas stuff. Meanwhile, the children in the Shapiro family were posting sort of I stand with Israel, pro-Israel stuff. What ended up happening is that the child who was on the Palestinian advocacy side entered the DMs of one of the children of the Shapiro family and started saying, like, you need to let me educate you about like how wrong you are about this cause. And then when that didn't go well, she went into the DMs of the other kid. And these are all like college age people. So, you know, older teenagers, like young 20s. Um, she goes into the DMs of the other kid and starts saying, are you a Zionist like your sister? <laughs> it's just, I was, I'm fascinated by the combativeness and also by how quickly these things deteriorate. You know, as it turns out, there are, I mean, I think there are issues on which you can behave this way and have it not just like blow up your relationships, but this is clearly not one of them. People are really losing friendships over this. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the speech thing is interesting and it's kind of like it relates and doesn't, but just the idea that nobody can say anything anymore without having social consequences, I think no side of this is going to come out unscathed. Like, it really depends who you were hanging around with before, you know? Like, there's no sort of objective truth to this. And I wouldn't even say there's like, well, it depends if you're in powerful circles or not powerful. No, it just completely depends where you are, who you, which industry you're in. You know what I mean? Like, there, in, in media or academia, something like that, you know, arts, there's one thing, you know, I'm sure in like, maybe in business or something it's otherwise I have no idea I have no idea exactly how it all um shakes out but this idea that like everybody like you can you can have one sort of politics but not another no like clearly it just depends who you happen to be reporting to you know and uh I don't I wouldn't say that I know what the politics are of most people I know and, and sometimes I've even had these very strange interactions where it's like somebody probably agrees with 
me about something, but like they don't outright say it, but they kind of hint at it. And it's just very weird. And I just want like, okay, let's, can we end this conversation now? So we're not really talking about anything, but yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely have done a lot of muting. If I know somebody in real life and they're being annoying, and I don't mean having different politics. I have not blanket muted people who have politics different from my own. And I really intentionally, you know, do not do this. I have, however, if somebody, if I'm worried, I'm going to like get in it with somebody I, I know in real life, I just mute because, um, you know, <laughs> we all uh, have to deal with one another on this earth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that a huge part of the blame for the way things currently are and it does feel somewhat unsustainable to me just how ugly things have gotten and and how fractured I think a huge part of the blame rests with whoever coined the absolutely inane slogan silence is violence uh, which you know convinced everybody on at least one side of things now that they need to say something about everything even when they don't necessarily have strong feelings even when they don't know what they're talking about because you know because heaven forfend um and I, yeah i just i really think that this compulsion and the pressure to post and to imagine that in doing so you're making an enormous difference like you're going to solve the world's problems by posting that black square on Instagram and if you don't post it you're contributing to them I think it's so responsible for what's happening now I mean there's something really weird about this moment that I'm obsessed with and going to probably like digress about in a minute so I shouldn't digress about it too much yet but that at a moment when there's so much actual violence truly whatever your politics are on this a lot of people have died right you know that's pretty clear and there's been some yeah rather horrifying brutality and i that that's that's on hamas the horrifying brutality there that i'm just gonna sorry to put my politics in the mix but anyway the point is i am upset by the deaths all around the civilian deaths all around certainly you know it's, it's upsetting right but that at this moment of so much horror there's still this like bullshit about microaggressions and and whether what somebody posted did a violence. I mean, so to me that there are two examples of this. Can I give two examples? Yes. Is that gonna be like I'm gonna sidetrack two us too is much? Great. Two is better than one. Okay, so the first is not there's like not that much to say about it apart from that it's exactly the thing you're talking about, is so the blog Cupcakes and Cashmere, I think it's kind of defunct at this point. I don't think that it's still putting new stuff up and I don't think it has been like for quite a while um it's just it was a lifestyle blog I want I'm using was because I think it's not really updating but by Emily Schumann and like a bunch of different people who I guess work for her and you know there's been a lot of blog drama over the years I followed it I've looked at Emily's outfits whatever Emily I don't know how Jewishly identified she is I know that she would write about and post about her grandmother her late grandmother having been a holocaust survivor and like show the tattoo on holocaust remembrance day things like this um what her religious affiliation is i have no idea i think she also like she does a big christmas thing i don't know if she does a hanukkah thing whatever it doesn't matter the point is she hasn't been posting much at all really lately because again like i said the blog itself seems to have just been kind of going the way of many early aughts lifestyle blogs she kept it around for a long time but she did she did keep it around longer than most she did keep it around longer than most but i'm saying it wasn't a since october 7th the blog stopped mm -hmm. from what i can tell but her instagram continues to exist and i just 
noticed in the comments to it, people really like berating her for, um, ah, do I have the, she's probably like, she's probably since deleted. It was like a picture of her just wearing an outfit and it said something like date night. And it's like, yeah, I noticed this, that people were infuriated. There was this incredible like trio of comments. I think I screenshotted it and sent it to you. Yes, you did screenshot it. Thank you. And where one person writes comments, favorite look on you ever. Sorry, this is my favorite look on you ever. And the next person comments, your smirk and self-satisfaction make me a little sick. Your life carries on as children die and you see no use in using your platform to inform or share. And then the next one is, hi, Emily Schumann. Could you share the white t-shirt in your stories from yesterday? And then prayer emoji. <laughs> Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> um, so it was just, yeah, I mean, like, it, but it, it's mainly, it seems to be mainly people saying the, the, the pattern, okay? And I think she's possibly deleting these, so that may be why I'm not finding them. Seems to be, and I don't, I don't blame her, seems to be people saying, well, you spoke out a lot about Black Lives Matter. Why are you not speaking out about Gaza? Um, as if there's some sort of hypocrisy going on here as versus maybe she doesn't, I, I doubt, just like, I doubt she is unaware of what's happening. I think she probably just has made the decision, whether for business reasons or for, you know, self-care reasons or whatever you want to call it, that she's not turning her you know, blog about her, you know, high end, if not to my tastes, kitchen renovation into, you know, that, right? It's not, she's not going to be arguing about the Middle East on her fluffy website. Right. And I mean, not for nothing, it's not as if it went well when she turned her blog into a, like, pro Black Lives Matter platform in the 2020 to 2022 or whatever era when everyone was supposed to be like giving themselves over to the cause at all times it did like that did not go well for her we talked about it on the podcast so we did we did we did yeah I mean I think so that was one one case where this came up and what specifically and it made me think of it when you were saying about like the whole silence is violence thing this idea that if she's not saying something it's because she lacks the courage to say the, th- the only thing she could possibly feel at this moment. It's like, eh, I don't know. Like, she is, like, of Jewish background. She may, you know, I'm not, I would not bet that her politics are what this person wants them to be. But I don't know because she hasn't said. I don't, I wouldn't bet there anything. Maybe she's never even, she doesn't even know, there's, know there is a war. You know, what do I know? Because she hasn't said anything. But also, who cares? Who cares what she thinks? Yeah. Like, the idea that well, it exactly. matters. Um, well, she's, it's not like she's Amy Schumer and is actually in charge of the world. <laughs> that is a reference to our most recent premium episode, which if you want to hear us talk about Amy Schumer, um, you'll, you'll have to pay $5. And you do. You do. You may not think you do, but... You... So that's one example. But the other one, which is like a little bit more complicated... Is so the New York Times ran an article about how there have been, and it was in some ways similar to yours, and that it was about like the way things kind of relationships rupture at this time. But it was about the food world. But it but it gave way too much credence to the idea that like you could call Israeli food itself cultural appropriation, and that that's like a sensible position to hold that makes any sense when people are multi generation Israeli and that's their food. You know, like it doesn't, 
that you could call if an Israeli person makes Israeli food, that's cultural appropriation, according to some people. And that's even like, this wasn't even about like boycotting an Israeli business or whatever, or certain Israeli businesses, depending where they're located, you know? No, this was about like, this, this was definitely about Wolf, but it was also about um, like, if you have falafel and you're of Ashkenazi background, are you, you know, doing a violence? God, I hope not, because I've done a lot of violence, if so. <laughs> Likewise. I mean, I was just, I was just amazed that that type of extremely, seemingly from another whole moment thinking really lives on at a time when there's like so much actually happening. And that's just, um, I'm a little obsessed with this, the the falafel stuff. Oh, God. You know, the thing is, I think, I think this actually speaks to um, what the other part of this piece was, you know, it's partly it was focused on what's happening to people's relationships and partly it was focused on why this is happening and it has a lot to do with digital culture. I think that this is just like, this is like entry level for people who are far removed from what's actually happening and just want to do team sports about it or to do fandom about it, fandom and anti-fandom, like getting after people over what food they're cooking is just that's how it's always that's how it's always been that's been like a classic place to kind of pitch your little I was about to say pitch your little tent but that's something else plant your <laughs> little flag and go to town yeah I mean it's I think it is it's also I mean there there is the bigger like what somebody means when they say there's no such thing as Israeli cuisine it's obviously this idea of saying well there's because Israel's not a real thing and of course other countries are also you know it's it's all nationalism is all constructed whatever you know it's not like one is it's not like there's some I mean I guess what I find unique about this moment and different from earlier incarnations of you know hypersensitivity about who's making which food or whatever, which certainly predate, well predates October 7th, is just this idea that, like, I guess the way I've seen people describe it is this idea of kind of a, like, progressive blood and soil nationalism, really having this moment, this idea that, like, you're going to find the true original people to whom some land belongs. Like, there was some flyer or some, or some sticker somebody found in Philadelphia that was, like, about, like, down with settlers from Israel to Brooklyn or something like this. And it's like, what does that even mean? You're going to decolonize Brooklyn? Okay, good luck. And you realize if you do that, that you're taking like the people of color out of Brooklyn who are not indigenous because they're also settlers by that. Stand- like, it's, it's just weird. It's this very strange. The decolonizing seems like that, that was not central. I don't think to like, if you want to call it wokeness, whatever, until recently. It was like, that was a sort of more of a fringe thing. Yes. And we're in a remarkable moment. And I almost I almost want us to just like get all the way there. We're so, so close to it being the good progressive thing to be like, go back to Africa, you know, <laughs> which is... but there just was there was some professor in I think Montreal shouted, uh, go back to Poland at a Jewish student, which is really what you want. That's hideous. Um, I'm trying not to allow myself to feel deeply discouraged by this type of thing. Um, you know, when I hear about it, there's, I feel an impulse to, you know, to get sad. And then like, I also received um, a couple of responses to this article from young progressive people, uh, young pro-Palestinian people that also uh, were fairly discouraging, including one that said he, um, 
this 26-year-old was like, I understand that Israel has great symbolic importance to the Jewish people. And I was like, I think it's a little bit more than symbolic. Um, but anyway. But that does seem to be a big piece that's missing from the discourse is that I think people who have not been to Israel, and I'm not saying the whole world needs to have been, that everybody needs to have been to every country. It's certainly far from North America, hard to get to, you know, I, I get that. But if you... Maybe if you haven't been there or just don't know Israelis or whatever, it just seems like it's still like like the year is 1947 and one is trying to decide what should be done next. No, the year is not 1947. There is a country there and there are people who are from it. And, you know, the idea that it's that that one could just solve the situation by having them go back to somewhere else or be put somewhere else doesn't it doesn't work. There are Israelis and there are Palestinians and they all need to live somewhere. And that is the problem that needs to be resolved, you know, like where they're all going to live, not, you know, like, and how they're going to get along or, you know, all of that. That's the issue. It's not like you can say, okay, well, we shouldn't have done Israel, you know, because like, who cares what somebody thinks about what should have happened in 1948? It, it happened. Right. I had a very interesting conversation with um, a young pro-Palestinian activist for this article. And one of the things she told me was that she supported a one state, like a single secular state solution where everybody would just live uh, in peace and harmony. And what struck me was that, I mean, it's like, a lovely idea. It's very utopian. It is completely counter to what anybody actually in the situation, anyone with actual skin in the game, whether they're Israeli or Palestinian, wants. Not, nobody wants that. That's true. And there are countries of that nature around the world. There are also... The other thing that... I mean, I'm going to be like, people are just going to shut this because I'm being too political. But so be it. I mean... There are, like, this whole thing about there shouldn't be, you know, ethno-nationalists, there shouldn't be states with, like, a religion. I mean, Canada, like, has Christian stuff up the wazoo. You know, most, it's, it's really specific to the U.S. to not have, like, a state religion in that way. You know what I mean? And the idea that Israel is, that the, the thing Israel should be faulted for is having a state religion. Like, I have plenty of issues with how it manifests itself, the religion stuff in Israel that I could digress on and won't. But the point is, the fact that it calls itself a Jewish country is not like, oh, see, see aren't, hasn't everybody moved beyond that? Like, there's a Church of England, you know? <laughs> like, yes, and no shortage of explicitly uh, Muslim countries around the world as well. So One or two, one or two. But they're, they're much smaller than Israel. It's just like, they have like 10 people in them each. And it's, yeah. Surely. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hashtag sarcasm for the people who don't have a Wikipedia. That has been another, like, the, the sort of levels. I think this is all happening at a moment of just, like, general ignorance about, like, history and the world. And, like, even people who are ostensibly, like, seeming kind of sensible politically or something, like, will ask. Like, I get asked questions where I just want to be like, Google it. Just, like, Google it. It's, like, so it'll take you two seconds to figure out, like. Like what's the border with water? You know, like I don't know. But. Mm, oh yeah, I saw something about how a substantial portion—I would—I wouldn't say everybody—and uh, I have another point to make about this in a second. But a substantial portion of the folks who are out, the younger folks who are out at these protests, chanting from the river to the sea, don't know which river 
they're talking about. Like they can't point to it on a map. They don't know the name of it. They just, they don't actually know the practical implications of what it is that they're advocating for because they don't know the geography of the region that they're discussing. Yeah, I mean, I think the protest, like I'm very, I'm, I'm of many minds because I think that there are people who see this as that Israel is doing what the U.S. did after 9-11, but like rapidly. So that as if it's already, we're already at the Iraq war level of reacting wrong to something. And that, who who see this and they, they mean well, they see all the death, they see all the destruction and they think, okay, that's not acceptable. We know better, we're Americans, we saw what happened after 9-11, don't do this. And the Americans who think this aren't like, they weren't in favor of 9-11, you know what I mean? They weren't sympathetic to the terrorists. They just want to see minimal retaliation, minimal, you know, death, right? And happening after, after a terrorist attack, right? And I think there are people who are like, if I see that somebody I know has posted that they're for a ceasefire, I don't assume, aha, they just like hate Jews. I, you know, first of all, some of the people posting it are Jewish, although that's a side note, because it's like three Jews who do this. And they're very, everybody likes to cite them because it helps them make a point. But yeah, I don't think that I think there are people who are just like, not like, I don't know what should happen. You know what I mean? I don't know exactly what the IDF should do. And like, it's weird because like you would think because like clearly, clearly I have so much say over what the IDF does. You, you would think that, that I would have more informed thoughts, but <laughs> I'm joking, by the way. I, I have no say over it. I don't, they don't come to me in Canada to ask about it. Please. I, you know, we all know that you were on the phone with Mr. Netanyahu right before this, just bending his ear about your preferred solutions. And, uh, and he respects you and takes your advice. I did once have a boss, and I'm not going to say at which publication, I'm not trying to dox anybody, um, who was a young gay man, not Jewish himself, who was insistent. I'm sure I've told the story before, but it's, I have to tell it again now even. Um, he was insistent that young Netanyahu was really hot. And, and like we had a very bad internet connection in this office. But he was going to Google image search or whatever, some sort of image search to show me that young Netanyahu was hot. <laughs> and like, we were trying to wait for this to load. <laughs> I'm just like, it's like my only memory, basically, of this job I once had. But anyway. This is interesting because I'm pretty sure that you've told this story to me before, maybe on the podcast, which resulted in me going on the internet to search. I'm to sure see I've told I it agreed. before because it's like one of the most amazing things that's ever happened to me in an office, if not... Um, I mean, it, it like fuses all my interests, but like, I don't actually think I ended up agreeing. Yeah, I don't recall thinking that this theory held water. I, I felt that um, he was not hot, even as a young man. But anyway, um, I want to try to be careful about leaning too heavily into the idea that everybody doing this protesting on behalf of Palestine is just like woefully ignorant and uninformed. I think a, a fair number are and I don't really even necessarily blame them like I would probably be a little quieter about it given the lack of information that seems to be present in the conversation but like this is a very very complex geopolitical issue that has been going on for millennia and uh yeah you know it's difficult to understand I, I totally do not fault anybody for not really knowing 
what's going on or what should be done. But the interesting thing to me, and I'm going to return again to the conversation I had with this young um, pro-Palestinian activist, she's not an ignorant person. Um, she is somebody who is clearly very well-versed, very well-informed, um, at least about the more recent history of the region, like since the establishment of Israel. And she nevertheless we had this very interesting interaction where I was trying to get her to articulate for me her perspective on things. And, you know, this is one of these things as a journalist, sometimes you end up talking to people who aren't really sort of fully putting their thoughts into words. And so you have to press them a little bit and say, like, you know, what would you say to somebody who who told you this? Or like, you know, some people think this, what do you think about that? Anyway, so at one point I asked her if she could describe to me in her own words what, um, like how how would she describe what happened on October seventh? And at first she really bristled and she kind of retorted. She's like, "Well, my question for you would be what happened to the seventy five years prior to October seventh?" And you know she's like, "What about that?" And so I said, "Okay, like totally, that's a, a valid." retort if you're having an argument, but I'm really just asking you what you would say to somebody who came to you and said, I've been in a cave for the past three months. I heard something happened um, on October 7th. And I, you know, I don't know what it is. Like, what would you tell them if you needed to inform them about what happened? And she kind of hemmed and hawed. She had a, a really hard time articulating this. But what she ended up saying to me, I want to quote her directly. Um, she said, a militant armed Palestinian liberation group launched a deeply unprecedented act of militant invasion into neighboring settlements. And I was so stunned by this. I mean, like, obviously, it's something of a word salad. But what it does, and I think that this is very remarkable, is it completely elides any suggestion that the militant group, in this case, Hamas, might be to blame, might be morally culpable in any way, might have done a bad thing. And I think that this speaks not to a lack of information, but a real inability to synthesize any narrative that contains any moral ambiguity because this is a fandom-driven discourse. I mean, I guess I'm wondering whether fandom is itself like I, I'm just trying to think of how I, I even would think of the order of things here, like which came first fandom or, you know, sort of knee jerk alliances with certain politics. You know what I mean? Like, because that to me doesn't seem that what you're describing, that doesn't seem like the fandom thing. I think of fandom as being more like the hot new accessories at Kafia it must like that must be the good side that to me seems more like the fandom level of it whereas what you're describing there that just seems like i think that person really just has those politics like that doesn't seem like i'm not sure how i would see fandom entering into it for somebody like that because i think this is somebody who does understand what hamas did on october 7th and what they see is that you know as they understand it Jews were done, people with that sort of view generally think Jews were done wrong. Jews are European people who were done wrong in Europe and for some bizarre reason, for some colonialist racist reason, decided to choose Palestine out of a hat um, as a place to settle. 
and that use of settler to describe that these were settlements, you know, next to like, yeah, I mean, I think this is, um, it's a lot of the people taken hostage or killed were peace activists. So this wasn't like going, you know, this wasn't, these were not the same people as who were in the West Bank. I don't even know what at this point, but the point is, I think that that's somebody who basically just thinks the, the idea of the Nakba, right? That it was all a catastrophe that Israel was created at all. And I, I guess to me, that seems like it so predates sort of contemporary fandoms. And like, that's what I, I feel like fandom explains why people who are not engaged in the topic or very informed on it get involved. And they made say things like from the river to the sea without knowing even like what they're talking about, like geographically. But d- does that make any sense? Like that fandom would be for some of it, but not all of it? Or is it all sort of? I think fandom inflects, inflects, influences everything, even if it's, you know, and I, I want to be cautious about assigning beliefs to this person that she didn't explicitly express. Um, one of the things that was interesting to me was that once I started pressing her to articulate things in her own words, kind of outside the bounds of the talking points that people use to discuss this stuff on social media, um, she did kind of struggle. She did kind of struggle to say what she thought or what she felt. She was, you know, sort of trying to stick with or it felt as if she was trying to stick with a narrative and once she didn't have like a sort of a prepared thing to say it was very difficult for her to articulate what she thought about things kind of in her own words but I think that the the fandom aspect of things just has a lot to do with the it's like the tone of the the discourse overall Um, And the inability to sort of embrace any notion of, I don't know, like that the side you've chosen to root for could also be in some way in the wrong. It's like that very, it's very absolutist. It's very Manichaean. It's like, I, you know, no, I've, I've picked, I've picked this side. I've picked this narrative. um, And I'm not going to allow for any complication of it. Yeah, I feel like I'm not I'm not optimistic enough at this moment, and I should be more optimistic. But it, it just it's okay to not be optimistic <laughs> right now. Do you have any other questions about the? You know, we wanted to do a kind of a behind the scenes discussion of this piece. Is there anything else you wanted to know about the reporting? Ooh, many many things. Well, one was just like, how did you find the people? Because it seems like they they come from different walks of life, which is what you want. It didn't seem like a an article where you just interviewed like three people you happen to know. Yeah, no, I um I did interview one person I happen to know, uh, a TikTok expert who was Lee Stein, who we talk about all the time and has been on the podcast. Um, but this was very interesting to me. I I often put out a call for people to contact me if they have stories, of, you know, to share on a given topic. I put out a call for it on Twitter. And sometimes I get like, I mean, once I was writing a piece about people um, going back to the office, but not wanting to wear office clothes. And I was like, do you have something to say about this? Contact me. And like two people did. And they were both men who wanted to talk about dress sneakers and how much they love dress sneakers. And I was like, okay, that was not fruitful in the way that I hoped it would be. (laughs) When I put out a call on Twitter for people to share their stories with me about this, I got an absolutely overwhelming number of responses. And as you were saying, people from all walks of life, um, I, I was not able to interview everyone who got in touch with me. There were so, so many. And what they all had in common was that they 
you know, were people who were strongly progressive, had always been progressive, felt completely disillusioned very all of a sudden. Um, I spoke to this one guy, Patrick Smith, um, also somebody who was willing to go on the record with me, which I appreciated. He's an artist. He's a Lebanese-American artist who makes incredible paintings, by the way. Um, he's under Instagram as I think the artist Patrick Smith. I'll have to double check this, but um, check out his work. It's really, really cool. Anyway, he was saying that like he noticed people in his community posting the paraglider memes and it was just stunned. And he said that like he had been in denial basically about the amount of not just pro-Palestinian but explicitly kind of anti-Semitic sentiment that was being harbored in this community um, to the point where people were like making very, very strange bedfellows with the Islamic State. You know, not typically a group of people who have been very friendly to artists throughout history. And yet, um, you know, you, you have these very odd alignments so I was just wondering, like, this is, I don't know if this is so much a question about your reporting or just a question for you, um, but I'm just thinking about, like, like the Paris terrorist attacks, right? Like, have, how do people in the West feel about, you know, there's a music festival or, you know, a concert or whatever, and it, it's attacked? Is that, is that cool now? <laughs> like, is that... Because you get the people who are, you know, and you've written about this, like the people who post, you know, if the indigenous people rise up, that's fine. And like, there are, there's no danger of that actually happening. Um, so, you know, they're just posting and being posters. But like, obviously, there is a certain amount of like, just as a practical matter, like, it once it's fine to just, you know, once that's just happening everywhere all the time, like, that's not good for it's more than Jews who get attacked in these things mm-hmm. um, anyway and even even on october 7th it was more than just jews but i'm saying that like is it now like if if there is some and i, I sure hope there isn't but if there is some sort of attack in a western you know locale that seems to be kind of a post like on that scale you know and in, in a sort of if hamas aligned sort of thing like what then then what's the take of the the hip young progressive about that is that is that cool that's now? a question that i wish that's a question i wish i'd been able to ask um some of these people i i mean i'm sure that the response would be that i don't know i was gonna say something akin to you can't make an omelet without breaking eggs um but or something about bad apples in the movement that like you know you can't associate the very good cause of Palestinian liberation with the very bad things that are being done in his name, no matter how many of those bad things are, no matter how they may accumulate, no matter how much it may kind of spread to Western countries that were previously much more tolerant. Um, Yeah, I I think there's just a real resistance at this point. Um, And, you know, this kind of goes back to the fandom thing to acknowledge like that there might be anything inherently problematic or anti-semitic kind of built in to some of this activism i see i think my impression is more that like and this is where maybe the pessimism (laughs) enters into it that anti-semitism isn't a meaningful category to people who aren't jews at this point um by and large or who are not very like considering themselves allies to jews at this point because basically there is, it's a demographic fact that most diaspora Jews do feel some sort of connection to Israel that is not 
a connection of wishing the country disappeared. And yeah, most like Jewish community centers, synagogues, whatever, you're not going to find too many places that have like never in any way supported Israel or Israelis or Israeli culture or whatever in any capacity. So if you really, really do have your bar for an entity that's purely Jewish is like, it has to be like, I mean, this was the thing I wrote about was that some, someone had written, had graffitied free Palestine in front of a Yiddish cultural center in the Bronx in New York. And, you know, a lot of people who are very much like on the pro-Palestinian side, especially Jews on the pro-Palestinian side were like, look, this had nothing to do with Zionism. This is terrible. And then you still get people who are like, well, actually, um, Shalom Aleichem, who's the center's named after, was was in the early 20th century before even the founding of the state of Israel, apparently a Zionist. So, you know, and it's like, and also, yeah, I guess you could say, well, the message was free Palestine. And isn't that just a lovely thing to say? And isn't that a good sentiment? And like, you know, that's not a bad thing to write on something. And and so, <laughs> oh, oh, what are the feelings of Jews who feel who feel sad when something's graffitied? Well, you, who cares about graffiti when there are all these dead Palestinians? I mean, this is like, this is what I see on social media, right? And like, I guess my thinking is that you can sit around trying to parse which is anti-Semitic and which is anti-Zionist. And the fact is, like, everything that's an attack on a Jew could be interpreted as an attack on Zionism. Therefore, I don't know that it's such a meaningful distinction because, like, anyway, whatever. That's that's just... It's not even that it isn't a meaningful distinction. I, I certainly think you should be able to criticize actions of the Israeli government without being considered anti-Semitic. I'm not sure that you aren't able to do this, given that, as I said, most Israelis aren't so happy with their own government. But mm-hmm. So something that just occurred to me, well, I have a question for you, but first I want to um, float a theory, which is that, and this maybe is not something to do specifically with the the way that the Palestinian liberation movement is or like, or its, or its goals or anything like that. Um, but I do think that it's given cover for a certain number of people who already just actually hate Jews and harbor real antagonism towards Jews to express that and get away with it. Um, so that's something that I think is happening. The other thing is that the reason that this cover is being given, it's a little bit like back in 2020 when like every so often a city would be on fire or like, you know, the storefronts were being smashed and looted and somebody would be like, a riot is the voice of the unheard. You know, there was this sense that no matter what's happening, no matter how ugly or even violent it is, it is ultimately an expression of a downtrodden and oppressed people striking against a powerful oppressor and hence it has to be forgiven. Does that make sense? I think so. I mean, I think it's something like that. Yeah. I mean, I I don't, I guess I have trouble. Like, I didn't think people these days in most places were even thinking that much about Jews. I don't know that, like, that's almost the part of this that surprises me that anybody's giving Jews that much thought. Well, maybe they hadn't thought about them in a while, but now that they are, they're like, oh, yeah, I hate them. No, um, but the other thing that I that I wanted to ask is, you know, you were saying that this doesn't seem like it's an issue that particularly matters to people who aren't Jewish, and I wonder why that is. Like, what is with the lack of sympathy? Is it just that there are so few Jews in the world as compared with other 
ethnic groups or racial minorities or whatever that have been deemed worthy of sympathy? I mean, I think it's both that. I think certainly the numbers are extremely (laughs) important here, that they're just like Jews are very interesting. Symbolically, this was my favorite book I read in grad school was about this, but like in the um, in the Enlightenment. So like, not last week, but the way that Enlightenment thinkers like Voltaire and so forth would um, think would would use Jews as sort of a test case to think ideas through and they didn't like necessarily know Jews, but they were whatever. I think that's definitely a lot of it. But I think in this case, I mean, I think there is just like, going by how people seem to be posting about this, it does seem to be like, look at the casualty numbers. This isn't like an abstract beef with Jews. This is look at how many Palestinians Israel has killed. You know what I mean? I think that's some of it because I think like, because I've seen people saying like, the sort of comparing like Jewish lives matter versus black lives matter. And obviously like African-Americans were not at war (laughs) with and attack, you know what I mean? Like, it's not the same situation. You know what I mean? Like, even if you blame what's happening on Hamas, and um, I think we all know my thoughts on this topic, but um, it's still there, there, Israel is, you know, a country at war, right? Like, I Mm -hmm. think that's some of it. I don't think that it's all just some sort of like, but I guess the question of is like, were people already baseline hating Jews? I think, I think that people were already baseline deciding that they're the white people um, and the BIPOC individuals and the Jews, unless they happen to be also BIPOC, are not as not, they're not going to be in that group, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's a lot of it too. And that it's just like, I think you see, like, unfortunately, you see just like outright racism sometimes from people who think they're saying something pro-Israel. And I don't, I would not necessarily assume these are Jews. I would think that demographically the chances are that they're not. But like whenever there's um, one of these awful things happen, you know, where some sort of anti-Semitic incident um, in the diaspora somewhere, it'll be like, oh, you know, like got to curb immigration then in, you know, whichever country and yeah, um, I don't know that that's uh, that's that's the nodded my name part. I don't think deporting people is really the the answer here. But. Right, right. Um, I wanted to just mention to return to the the subject of how internet fandom dynamics are basically influencing the national conversation about this, especially amongst people who are otherwise like not connected to it in any way and are just like posting about it on social media because it's the thing to talk about. So Lee Stein, when I was speaking to her to, you know, get this information about the, like, how do things work on TikTok? What are the dynamics there? She said something that really stuck with me and like, just, I don't know, really illuminated for me what, what was going on here and like, and why it's gotten so ugly. She said, Palestine, like on the internet of fandom, Palestine is Taylor Swift. And that's like, I mean, it's it's a ridiculous statement, but as soon as she said it, I was like, okay. I do understand how like how this is the way it is because there's no I don't know whatever the anti-fandom would be for it, like the the Taylor Swift haters or the people who like somebody else better than her, somebody with whom she has some kind of rivalry. There's no contest. It's the the sheer volume of supporters for this thing who've decided that this is their team. 
it just really has a huge impact on the way that the conversation plays out online when you have so, so, so many people posting both in support of this thing and also dunking on people who they perceive to be fans of like the wrong team, the opponent team. Um, there's basically no way to keep it from becoming just an absolute, like a blowout, basically, if this were a, a sporting competition in favor of the person who has the most fans. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, like what I've seen, I mean, it, and what, you know, what you've written about, what it seems like is the general feeling is like, it's the young people's thing, therefore it's pure, therefore it's the future, right? Mm-hmm. Like, just going by what I see in Toronto, that's who's wearing a keffiyeh by and large, although I did see one, I, I was like near the Whole Foods, which I, I'm not often these days, because I don't live anywhere near it, but I was in a museum that's near it, and I, I want, I was walking through it, and there was a an elderly, white, very, very white lady um, in a keffiyeh, but generally, generally, it's like, it's the young people thing, right? And the young people, like, you know, they're just more pure. And, and our stuffy middle-aged selves, what do we know? That seems to be the, yeah, I mean, I, and that's where I see, like, I think it's, it's the mix. Uh, so I, I think I'm with Lee Stein on, a, on the Taylor Swift thing, except I would say it's like, but fortified by the whole, like, this cultural turn where the thing you like is also doing some kind of social justice good that cannot be questioned, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like Taylor Swift for a good cause. Yes, yes, exactly. Which fuels the, oh, I don't remember who described this as like the most delicious moral treat, but this idea that you're going to be able to be be cruel to people, which is, you know, what's happening when, um, like especially online, when people are, are making responses, you know, specifically directed at the, um, Israel supporting side of things. Uh, you get to be cruel to somebody and also... Or take down the hostage photos. Yeah, or, ta- or take down the <laughs> hostage photos, which is, that's its own... It is, it may be its own, its own thing, yeah. So I guess the last thing to do is just the obligatory announcement that this has been a public episode of Feminine Chaos, but if you enjoyed this conversation and would like to hear more like it, we would love for you to support us on Substack, where you will, for paid subscribers, get access to premium episodes. We do two per month, occasionally three, and we also run open threads every other Wednesday. Uh, we have comment threads on our episodes. We sometimes do AMAs. It's a good time. It is. You should sign up. Yep. And it's not all war all the time. We're just we're just a little... A little, a little warish at the moment. Yeah, we've we've been in a little bit of a rut. Although the last last episode, we did not talk about the war. We talked about uh, what was our most recent premium episode? It was about the cancellation of a Japanese artist who puts dots all over everything, and also it was Karen's, right? Wasn't it? Oh no, no, it wasn't Karen's. Oh my god, sorry, it was the Naomi Wolf stuff, right? It was Naomi Klein, Naomi Wolf, um, who are maybe at war with each other but it's not like an actual war so it's okay which scarf do you have to wear for that a very fashionable one (laughs) i would think so (laughs) and uh this has been feminine chaos that it has thank you for joining bye bye